Welcome to Beauty is Eternal. In-depth interviews that inspire. I'm Caitlin, your host for the show. Today's episode is called Vivacious Violinist Alexandra Hauser Playing with Fire. Alexandra Hauser is one of classical music's young international stars and performs around the globe. Today, she is allowing us a peek inside of her world so that we can see how a star was born and what inspires her in everyday life. How did she choose her violin? How did she meet her boyfriend? Alexandra is both a chamber musician and a soloist and plays on a French Paul Cal violin made in the 1920s. She was born in Mödling, Austria, and currently resides in Munich, where she studies at the Hochschule for Music and Theater. She is the daughter of Austrian conductor Alexis Hauser, who moved the family to Canada when he joined the Montreal McGill Symphony Orchestra as artistic director and conductor. Alexandra studied at the McGill Conservatory before joining the Pre-Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal with Professor José Aydans, after which she attended the Conservatoire de Musique de Montréal with Professor Lipsky. Subsequently, she was admitted to the Mozarteum as a student of Professor Paul Rosek. Alexandra has won numerous first prizes around the world including at the QMEA Festival and the Festival de Musique Classique in Montreal, in addition to winning first prize three times at the Crescendo International Competition, which led to her playing in Carnegie Hall multiple years in a row. In 2013, she was awarded first prize at the Flame International Competition in Paris. She has studied with various experts including Professor Regina Braunstatter, Professor Michael Frischenschlager, Professor Mauro Irato, Igor Petruveski, Mario Hosan, Eric Gumbach, Lawrence Cayella, and Paul Olzik. Together with former classmates, Alexandra formed the Marie de France Trio, which performed and competed throughout Canada and the U.S. Alexandra plays everything from Baroque music to 21st century music. Her boyfriend is French tenor Adrian Autard, with whom she sometimes performs. You can find Alexandra on Instagram under the username Alexandra Hauser Music. Well, I'm really excited to meet you, Alexandra. You're incredibly talented and you are performing all around the world. So it's an honor to have the privilege to interview you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It means a lot. <laughs> I want to know about the beginning of your career. How did you become a violinist? Well, both of my parents are musicians. So my father is an orchestral conductor in Canada. And my mother, she she had a lot of jobs. She was a pianist and she was a music journalist. And now she teaches piano in Canada as well. So I guess music was always around me. And in another way, 
it also felt like I had no other option, positively speaking, because I had music, like I said, everywhere, like in the morning, in the afternoon, the evening. So the way I came to violin was that in Vienna, when I was little, I grew up back home for three years before we moved to Canada. And my mother, she would always take me out for a stroll in my baby wagon. And there were always musicians playing outside, which is very typical in Austria. And it was always either a string quartet or a string trio or just a violinist. And she always said that I would point at the violin and that that was a sign that I would want to play violin later on. Once I started violin, I knew I would never stop because I, I loved it so much. And it's a part of me that I could never give up. Did you try any other instruments when you were growing up? Or was it just your mother saw you pointing at the mm -hmm. violin and that was the one you went for? I actually went for violin and have been doing it since. But when I was 13, I started voice lessons because my biggest passion is opera. And I took voice lessons for three months. And then I quit because <laughs> I didn't have the patience of working on breathing for three months before actually getting to sing beautiful pieces. So therefore, I just I had no patience. So I quit singing. Now I kind of regret it because I love it so much. And I sometimes wonder if that was my calling. But at the same time, I'm really happy I stayed with violin because I could see an evolution as the time went by. And that's always interesting to see and also see how you yourself as a person change and evolve through your instrument. How do you think that you have changed over the time since you've been playing violin? Well, I was always, I wouldn't say an introvert, but in school, I wasn't really the person that everyone would want to hang out with because I was like, I was classified as a weird person because I played an instrument. My mother exempted me from gym class. So I was always alone. I had maybe two or three friends, but I was very close to them throughout my entire schooling. And I guess violin was just always there. I always knew that I had something or someone with me at all times that other people wouldn't have. And my father, whenever uh, we would talk about music, he always said, remember, music is a friend for life. And I truly believe it because in my hardest times, music was always there. And it was always like the number one so-called therapy that I would do is listen to symphonies by Mahler or Bruckner or operas by Wagner, and then I would instantly feel better. Of course, the music is very dramatic, but <laughs> sometimes you need a, a bit more dramatic music in your life to, to really feel the things that, are, that you're feeling inside of you. That is a very good point. I think there are a few things in the world more dramatic than a Wagnerian opera. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so music for you has been like an emotional, something you've been emotionally connected to your entire yeah. life. Yeah, I would definitely say that. You have studied and lived in a number of different places and different music academies in Canada. How did your feeling towards music or how did your playing of music change as you attended different schools and lived in different places? I lived in Canada for 19 years. That was the place that I stayed in most. So I lived in Montreal, basically my whole life. And I went to the conservatory there, the conservatoire, and then to the McGill University. And in between, I went 
for one year to the Mozartium in Salzburg, which is a very prestigious school that I'm very happy that I was part of for a year. But then I decided to go back to McGill because, to be honest, I felt I was much too young to live on my own, considering my parents were in Canada. So I decided to come back home. And it was the right decision for me because I got to study with an amazing teacher at, at my university with Professor Axel Strauss. And he really helped me a lot. I think every teacher I studied with was a huge impact on me. Up from my very first one, Lucine Barikian, she was the one that taught me the violin when I was little. I started from zero with her. And she had this thing where she would do concerts where I could barely play two or three notes or any of us. We would only play like two notes and that was it. And at the time, I thought, why are we doing these concerts when we can't play any pieces? But it actually really helped because it helps me conquer my stage fright. For instance, nowadays, I don't have such a big stage fright like some of my friends, simply because my teacher, she already pushed me out there when I was little. And then when I went to the Conservatoire, I studied with José Edin and Helmut Lipsky, and they were also incredible because with Madame Edin, she was very picky about intonation which is so important and which I'm still working on now because I think one of the hardest things to conquer is the intonation and the technique, of course. And then with Professor Lipsky, he really allowed me to be my own person, to find myself in the musical world, to find my own musical act, to be myself. And then when I went to Professor Strauss, he really fixed my technique because, for instance, right before, my left shoulder was much higher and it was very uncomfortable at the time. I was very grateful for him because without him, I would still probably be in pain. I had a lot of pain in my back and now I feel a lot more free. And now living in Munich, it's completely different, but it was the right call for me because I don't believe that there's a huge difference between America and Europe on the musical side. I mean, one thing that is certain is that most of the incredible orchestras are here and there's a lot more access to classical music here simply because there are so many concerts to go to. And that's been very influential on my part. Like the concerts that I've been seeing here are unreal and extremely motivating and simply inspiring. And working with my teacher is also such a pleasure because she's pretty young. She's like 15 years older than me. And it's really nice to have a teacher who's close to your age, who understands your struggles, who can honestly tell you from her experience how things are, how it is to be a, a young soloist. And also, it's good to have a female person in my life. Like I had the last two years, I had men as professors and they were incredible. But sometimes it's also practical to have a lady simply because we're different. And I think also sometimes we're relatively more sensitive <laughs> when it comes to music so I'm very grateful for all my teachers they have been incredible and I wouldn't be where I am without any of them one thing that's impressing me about you as you're speaking right now Alexandra is how mature you are and the fact that you were mature enough when you were younger to realize that you were too young to live without your parents I mean that's actually a big thing to realize and with all of these teachers, it sounds like you've been able to look at the experience and see the best things that you've taken away from it. And by having mm -hmm. so many teachers, they've been able to help you get stronger in different areas. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit because 
violin is something that is very, obviously it's very intense, but it's also one-sided in the sense that you use one side of your body more than the other and in a different way. What mm-hmm. kind of techniques are you using to ensure that you ha- are strong on both sides and even on both sides? How did you deal with what you were talking about, the shoulder injury? Well, my shoulder wasn't injured in the sense that I couldn't play. It was simply obvious that it was higher than the other one. Though I wouldn't say that violin is one-sided. I think it's both sides because there's the exact same danger of tiring your right shoulder when playing with the bow when you get into a tense passage in a piece. But one thing that really helped me and that Professor Strauss really, really forced upon me in a positive way was to practice in front of a mirror. Back home, I didn't have a big mirror, so I would always practice at university. I always make sure there was a mirror because it is so important to see your posture. And it took me such a long time to understand it until I was, I think, 19 years old. Only from then, I really understood the importance of practicing in front of a mirror. So really making sure that the balance is the same on each side, that no shoulder is higher than the other. It's also very important to notice the chin rest that you're using. For instance, if you have a relatively longer neck, then you should use a higher chin rest. For me, it was the shoulder rest that I had to change because it was too low and I couldn't make it any higher. And then, of course, there's different ways to play the violin, right? Some people, they use a shoulder rest. Some people, they use a sponge. And some people, they don't use anything. They just use a cloth. And some people even say it's the healthiest way to play. I don't really believe that there's a healthiest way to play. I think the healthy way is just that you're not tense in any part of your body. And I think that's what us young musicians who are still learning, who are still in university, we're all trying to find a way for us not to be in tension, also to be comfortable when we play, and also to be able to play every single note the way we want to play it without tension. I think that's the hardest part. And I think it's a long, long way to go until you get to that part. But definitely practicing in front of a mirror, making sure you're standing straight, uh, your feet aren't next to each other, that there's a space in between, and feeling grounded. I also had this thing where when I would play and something would get really out of control in the piece, I would start going on my tippy toes, or (laughs) I would bend my knees. And that's pretty bad. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't stand like a statue, but you should also not move excessively in a way that isn't favorizing in the way you're playing. So I guess those are really the the main tips that I would have for the shoulder. And again, like making sure you have the right chin rest and shoulder rest. That sounds very reasonable. Also practicing in front of a mirror so that you can actually see for yourself what you're doing or not doing. I think Mm -hmm. that's great advice. How does it transfer from practicing where you can use a mirror when you have a more relaxed environment perhaps to actually performing where you can't really see what you look like and you have a lot of other people who can see what you look like? How do you ensure that you stay relaxed when you perform? Well, I think before I perform, usually I practice very slowly. Like, for instance, when I have a performance, I have this ritual where I don't, first of all, I don't practice very much. I make sure that I sleep enough. I go to bed early. And I also wake up relatively early. I'm, I'm kind of a person who wakes up between seven and eight and who doesn't need a lot of sleep. But 
I always force myself to sleep longer when there's a concert simply to make sure that I have all the energy needed and making sure that I don't eat too much before a concert because if you eat too much, you could either have a tummy ache or feel bloated and then it makes me tired so I don't have the energy that I would need. So sometimes I don't eat before a concert except for a banana. Now there's this whole banana theory that us musicians use I never really understood if it's psychological or if it actually has something in it. But my violin teacher always told me before a concert, you eat a banana. And that's what I've been doing since. And I don't know, but it's been working so far. So (laughs) I encourage every person to eat a banana, either if they're musicians or not, like if they have a very important day ahead and they don't feel like eating, just eat a banana and I think that banana is like a magical, <laughs> a magical <laughs> fruit or something. But I don't really care what people think of my facial expressions when I play. I am a very expressive person. And I know that sometimes my face gets very out of control, <laughs> as most of us. But then again, you know, it's much nicer to have a performer performing in front of you and being themselves than you being able to tell, ah, this person is faking it. Or, ah, this person is not expressive because their face doesn't move. Of course, there are some musicians who their faces don't move, but you can tell they're expressive. It really depends on the person. That's why I wouldn't really judge a facial expression or anything for that matter. I think the only thing that matters is that that person is able to tell a story with their instrument, whether it's a singer or a violinist or trumpet player, anything. I think that's my advice. Of course, when you practice in the practice room, you can look at yourself and say, oh my gosh, why am I looking like this? Uh, Why do I move this way? But in the end, as long as what you do is beneficial towards yourself, it doesn't matter if you do the same thing on stage, as long as you respect yourself, obviously, (laughs) and you also respect the public. You mentioned briefly that you had a teacher who had you perform just a couple notes on stage during concerts to get you used to being on the stage and deal with stage fright. Was stage fright something that you have had to deal with that you still have to deal with? I don't know if I would call it stage fright or feeling nervous before a concert, but I'm usually the type of person who's very excited. Of course, if you're not well prepared, stage fright is the number one key. But for me, I'm not really a stage fright person, also because of that violin teacher, because she pushed me so much on stage when I was little, like I was five, six years old, and I could barely hold the bow. Um, (laughs) But it really, it scared me at first, and then it became fun. And I performed a lot back home in Montreal, like I had a lot of concert opportunities and competitions in my hometown in Montreal. And of course, when you come to Europe, it's a whole different story, because you're in a different continent. And you meet new people that you've never met before. And the thing that I love is that everyone is incredible in my class, in my university. They are all unbelievable musicians and you can learn from each and one of them. For instance, I live in a student housing, but it's for musicians. It's for all the musicians from the university I'm at. And we are eight people. And I mean, most of us are musicians and one of my roommates, he won last year the third prize at the Kalinism competition. And it was so inspiring, first of all, to watch him perform, how sure he was of himself, because he had worked so hard 
And it was also very emotional for all of us to see how far he came. So dealing with stage fright, my advice to others is if you have stage fright or if you have an audition coming up or a competition or a violin exam or even just a concert, I think the best is that once your repertoire is ready, that you try to perform it as much as you can in front of people. I realized, for instance, my stage fright isn't the public, but it's my friends because the public usually, they're not all musicians. They don't all know the piece that you're gonna play and they don't all know all the notes that are being performed, but your friends do, most of them, especially if you play in front of string musicians, in my case, then they know, ah, but this isn't the right note or, oh, you play too flat there. So my advice is just to play in front of your friends, play in front of your family as well, and try to play in concert venues, in retirement homes, in any situation that you can before performing on stage. That definitely helps. Well, that's very good advice. The more you do it, then the less fear there is of the unknown, the more confidence you can build. Yeah. You mentioned that when you perform in front of an audience, and this is a good point, the majority of them will not notice if you you know, make a small error, unless it's something super well known. But your fellow musicians will, because they're attuned to that. They also may know the piece very well. What is it like for you when you perform as part of a chamber ensemble versus as a soloist? Yeah, I love both of them. I also love being in an orchestra very much. What I like about chamber music is that you often do your chamber music with people that you're either very close with or people that you don't even know and then you discover them through music and I find that always fascinating. I have done chamber music quite a lot when I was in Montreal. I had a trio and we were best friends and rehearsed so much fun because we always came well prepared, first of all. I think it's really important that when you're in a chamber group that every person works their part so that when we meet together in practice that we can try to find a way where we all there. Being a soloist is my dream, personally, because the amount of repertoire that was written for violin and orchestra is, first of all, incredible. There are so many concertos. There are so many concert pieces. I'm very honored that all these composers wrote so many violin concertos and pieces for us, but I don't have a preference uh, whether chamber music or soloist or orchestra because I love orchestra so much. Actually, in my university, a lot of people complain when there's orchestra and I'm always super excited even though we have seven hour rehearsals simply because the repertoire we're playing is beautiful and it's very astonishing the amount of music that has been written throughout the years for any instrument, for orchestra. And it's always a pleasure to discover new pieces as well. For instance, in December, our orchestra at the university, we did Shostakovich Leningrad Symphony, and I hadn't heard it. I've heard of it, and I knew the history behind it, but I hadn't played it. And it was such an emotional concert because the piece is very, very, very rough. It's back to the Soviet Union with the whole Stalin regime and the way that the country was suffering. And Shostakovich always had this ability and this capacity to really show images through his music. And it was nearly heartbreaking. And also my parents were there. So it was a very 
memorable experience. And I'm very fortunate because I have a lot of colleagues who really don't like orchestra or who really don't like chamber music, who just want to do one thing. But I'm happy in my case that I like all of these things, all of these aspects of being a violinist and that I don't have a preference. You have an incredibly positive attitude, Alexandra. In everything you Thank say, you so I'm noticing that you look to the benefits and you take the positive out of it rather than focus on any of the negatives. It's a very powerful tool that you have there. Thank you so much. <laughs> what is it like playing contemporary music versus older classics? Do you have a preference? Do you like both? What are the experience of playing different eras of music? For contemporary music, I have to say that my heart hasn't grown to it yet. I'm confident to say that it will come at its time. I have also focused mainly on the classical and the romantic era, so I have a lot more knowledge there. I really think that I'm a little bit small-minded when it comes to contemporary music, which is a big default that I have and that I want to fix, simply because I am not very open-minded to it yet. However, I know that in my time it will come, that I will like this kind of music. I think it's incredible that composers nowadays try to make new things with our instruments. Sometimes it's a little bit scary. The concerts that I see were like, you're hitting the instrument or with the bow, you're hitting the strings. Like that always freaks me out. But I actually think it's remarkable that they do that. For me, I'm much more of a romantic person from the romantic era speaking. I really love Brahms and Tchaikovsky and Bruckner and Wagner and Verdi. Like I love the romantic era so much because it brings out all the feelings of a daily life, whether love or heartbreak or sorrow or happiness, sadness, really every single emotion and in many pieces, you have all the emotions coming kind of gradually. It's like happy and then something bad happens, but then there's a positive ending. That's uh -huh. how I would, for instance, describe a Bruckner symphony. It always starts happy and then there's a moment where there's a big sadness and then it ends either positive or I always say that the end sounds like heaven, like God is speaking to you or something. I also really love the classical era because... Beethoven was in that era and then he obviously he went into the romantic era and he's my favorite composer. I'm very happy that this year is the 250th anniversary because there's a lot of Beethoven concerts all over and it's such a joy and his music is one of the most impressive and emotional things I've ever heard simply because I cannot understand and realize how a person who couldn't hear at the end of his life, composed something like his Ninth Symphony. It's my favorite work. Every time I hear it, I have tears in my eyes. It's one of the reasons that I wanted to stay in music all my life is so that I could perform his music, perform all these composers' pieces. Of course, Mozart I love as well. I have to say he's not my favorite. I love him very much because without Bach, there wouldn't have been a Mozart. There wouldn't have been a Beethoven. There wouldn't have been all the other composers. And Bach is one of my very favorite composers. He was from the Baroque era. 
he wrote such beautiful violins, sonatas and partitas, and their first solo violin. So that's something I really like is experiencing my instrument without any accompaniment. And the first piece I actually learned by Bach, strangely, was the Shakona, which is, in my opinion, his hardest piece. I had worked on it in a summer academy with Professor Prischenschlager, who he's my mentor. We've been working for 10 years together, always in the summer. And he really explained to me Bach in a way that really helped me understand the structure of the piece and understanding how the piece evolves until the end. In that case, I love every single period of classical music. Modern, I haven't played so much, which is also one of the reasons that I can't say much about it. And I'd rather not because I can't say anything about it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. If there's modern pieces in a concert, of course, I will go and listen. But I definitely have to discover much more repertoire in that before I can say anything about it. You have had a lot of experiences with all of these different composers and you have a different appreciation for each one of them. Is Beethoven also your favorite to play? Actually, yes. I love Beethoven very much because he writes exactly what he wants in his music. He will write a crescendo when he will want it. He will write uh, subito forte when he wants it. And I think his music is extremely difficult to play not because of the notes, but simply because his nuances are so clearly written. A lot of people tend to want to do a crescendo when there's a piano followed by a forte without realizing that actually it's supposed to say piano and only go forte right when he writes it. So I like his music because it really forces me to, first of all, understand it and do it exactly the way he wants. So... It's also so much fun to play because it's very joyful music. There's dances as well. And sometimes it makes me think a lot of Viennese music because he lived quite a bit in Vienna. So it kind of reminds me of home. Whenever I was in Canada and I had to play Beethoven, I always felt a little bit more at home. So it was always a pleasure to play Beethoven. I don't know if he is my favorite. I don't think I could say I have a favorite composer to play, honestly. For sure, Beethoven, if I had to name one, I think I would say him. But there are so many that I love. I love Brahms. I am playing Brahms double concerto in, in four weeks in Caracas. And before that, I played his first and third violin sonata. And I love them simply because they are so romantic. They are like burning of passion, so much vibratos and so many emotions. So I think I would say these two are the ones that I really, really feel deeply connected with. But on the other hand, I love performing all of them. Oh, that's so beautiful. You mentioned that you are very romantic in terms of your taste in music, and your romantic partner is also a classical musician. Actually, he's a French tenor named Adrian. Can I ask you the story of how you guys met? <laughs> It's quite a funny story. Actually, we met on a dating app, to be honest. (laughs) Not for any purposes that others would think. Simply, I had friends and they were on Tinder. Also not for that reason. They were simply looking at profiles and commenting on them, but nothing more. And I didn't understand the purpose. So I, at some point, I decided, okay, why not? It looks funny. And 
I never, ever, ever had the intention of meeting anyone. And I was in Munich. And then my sister called me and she said, would you like to come to Vienna? Then I told her, yeah, sure. And on the way in the car, she saw me on Tinder and she said, what are you doing? And I said, it's not what you're saying. I am not on Tinder. I'm not doing anything wrong. I mean, for some people, it feels wrong. For others, it doesn't. So I can't really say it's wrong. But I'm not doing what what she would think I would be doing. And then she saw that his face appeared on Tinder. And then she swiped him to the right. She said, oh, but you need to meet someone at some point. So she swiped him and it was a match. So ironically how we met it was a very funny coincidence and I'm very thankful because he is such a joy in my life honestly he's an opera singer he's an amazing tenor but he's also such a great support in my life we've been dating for nearly a year now he lives in Vienna and even though we're at distance we try to see each other as often as possible now that I have vacation I'm a bit more in Vienna but we support each other as much as we can. He's always there for me. When I have concerts, he always tries to be there. And when he can't, he always makes sure to be as supportive as he can be. And other than that, we learn from each other, which is really nice. For instance, I went to one of his vocal classes with his teacher in Vienna. And it's really amazing how much you can learn from the voice because violin, we always say you have to play the melody as if you were singing it. And now that I actually have a singer in my life, it all makes a lot more sense. Also, the way he explains to me how the breathing works, how the melody is built, how to understand the direction, it helps me a lot. I am very, very grateful to have him in my life. Oh, that's very sweet. Are you guys performing together? We try to. It's kind of hard, just violin and voice. However, we we do have a program that we built together in case anyone is interested in violin and voice. But we had a concert together in January in Vienna at his class concert, and we played Morgen, which is originally for voice and orchestra. It's from the four songs that he wrote from that cycle, and it was the last one. And we performed it with violin and piano because in the orchestra the melody is played by the concertmaster so it was then rearranged for violin piano and voice this year in october we will be playing in monte castelli in tuscany oh. uh, the same piece again and the first part of the evening he will play with one of our good friends who's a pianist and the second part of the evening i will play with the pianist but we still try to perform where we can together or at least share the concert together. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. You get to perform with your boyfriend and with a very good friend. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited, for sure. It's a great pleasure. Oh, well, the advice that I'm going to take away from that is that other people should use Tinder if they're not. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I I'm no kidding. Honestly, I'm really not that kind of person. I always, my ex-boyfriend, I met him at a summer academy. But I'm very grateful in this case that Tinder exists because or else I don't know how I would have met him. (laughs) I met my boyfriend using Happen, which is a different dating app. And I'm also very happy that I met him there. So it definitely, and I have a lot of friends who met on dating apps. It can definitely work. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. With a little luck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> or in your case, your sister swiping on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah, quite funny. I hope he gets your sister nice birthday presents every year. Yeah, he should. I will tell him that. <laughs> At the moment, you are studying and you are training and you're performing. How do you split your time between all of these things? What's your schedule like at the moment? At the moment, it's, it's okay in the sense that I don't have any classes until the 23rd of March. So I spend a lot of my time practicing, but also relaxing before the next term because I will be graduating. I will have my bachelor's exam and I will have to practice a lot. I have a lot of repertoire to prepare. I really like going to the gym. I hadn't been at the gym for a month. And now that I have been back, it was very hard <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> to find all my energy and force again. But I think working out is extremely important on a like daily basis as often as you can, simply to stay fit and healthy. And I also realized that going to the gym in the morning really gets me set for the rest of the day. Like It puts a really big boost of energy in me. And then I'm ready to practice the whole afternoon if need be. And But when I have classes and performance and practice, I don't have so many performances at that time. Usually I have class concerts, which are part of my university. But other than that, I just have lessons and classes. It sounds like you're good at balancing your different responsibilities, depending on what they are at any given time. I do my best, for sure. What kind of workouts are you doing at the gym? I do a lot of cardio. I try to do 20 to, to 30 minutes. Right now, I'm at 20. And then I try to avoid the arms a little bit when I have something big coming, simply because I get sore very easily. And it's also normal that I get sore because I don't train them that much. I know that if I were to train them regularly, I would get less and less sore. But I don't find it so important for me to train them. I rather train my abs, my back, especially my back for posture, I think is extremely important, and legs. So you do a mixture of strength training and cardio, but not too much focus on the arms if you have to perform. Exactly. exactly. Okay, that sounds like a good mixture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever worked with a trainer on violin-specific exercises out of curiosity? Is that common for violinists to do? I think what I understood is that it's very important for us to work with a physiotherapist and osteopaths because our postures get broken really easily from playing. Not broken, but we play in a very uncomfortable way. It takes a long time for you to get used to it to get comfortable. Therefore, I think it's important to see a, a physiotherapist once every three, four months. When I was in France about a month ago, my boyfriend had an appointment with a physiotherapist. And I then asked the physiotherapist if he could just quickly look at me and see what my situation is with my body as being a violinist. And he looked at me and his reaction was, ooh, <laughs> like that my shoulder is too high, like they're both too high, they're not very even, that my back is kind of, I don't know, twisted, my head is kind of tilted, very weird. 
uh, things that you wouldn't notice yourself when looking in the mirror. Because when I look, I think, okay, I'm standing straight, it's fine. But actually, I, it's very important if you want to stay really healthy and stay really aligned to go see a physiotherapist. I'm definitely going to do that more often. I think it's very important. Well, it definitely always is helpful to have somebody who's an expert in something look at you from the outside and give you their perspective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before I let you go, Alexandra, you perform on a 1920s Paul Call violin that formerly belonged to the violist of the Albenberg Quartet, Thomas Kukuska. How did this come to be your violin? And yeah, what, what do you love about it? When I was 10, I went to the Mosasium Summer Academy in Salzburg, and I've been going there for 10 years. I think it was my second year. And we went to the Luthier simply for my older instrument, my instrument before. I think my bow had to be rehaired. And then my mom, out of curiosity, she just said, why don't you try some violins for fun? And I was very opposed at the idea because I already loved my violin before that. It wasn't really something special. I mean, it was from Romania and it was made for me. I mean, not for me, but you could basically order an instrument to be made for you. And it didn't have the best sound now that I think about it later. But I was very attached to it because it was gold. It looked, <laughs> I mean, it looked gold. It had like a really interesting color. And I had won my first competition with it. So I was very attached to it. And I called it Goldie, you know, like Aww. very best friends with her instrument type Aww. of person. <laughs> and I felt like I was betraying her when I went to the Luthier. And then my mom, she said, just try it. You never know. Maybe you'll like it. And then I said, okay, fine. And then uh, I tried a few and I fell in love with two violins. And that's the worst thing that can happen because then you have to choose between both of them. Oh, no. And one was my Paul Kaus violin. It's a French violin from Nantes from 1920. Actually, it turned 100 this year. I was very oh. happy. <laughs> <laughs> and the other violin, I think it was older. It was from Mittenwald. And the very obvious difference the contrast between those two instruments was one of them was super powerful and the other one was very sweet and it had a very sweet sound but much quieter and no matter how much force I would put into it it wouldn't really go any louder and I think it's kind of easier when you have a, a louder instrument to make it sound sweeter and softer rather the opposite like you put much less effort into it and I felt completely in love with my violin up to this day, I'm so thankful that I have this instrument. I also really like the fact that my luthier, I go only to them since then. I am very loyal to them. <laughs> and I, re I recommend them to anyone who looks for an instrument. They are so professional. They don't tell you what instrument it is. They let you figure it out on your own. Find out if you love the instrument. Find out how you feel performing it. And then... Once you decide I'm going to buy it, then they tell you it's from this year, wow. it costs this much. They are very, very, very honest. Because I think sometimes people, they tend to buy an instrument because they think, oh, it's so old, it must be amazing. But that's not always the case. And I know that's something I really treasure about them. And I can't imagine ever leaving this instrument. Like, oh. I hope that I will always have it with me. One thing I really love about playing on it is the way my violin smells after bringing it to the luthier. It has such a sweet smell of clean wood and it sounds so powerful on its own. 
that it makes me feel like I have a lot of power in me. <laughs> oh. um, so yeah, I am very grateful to have this instrument. A lot of people, when I tell them about my instrument, they're like, oh, but it's not a Stradivarius or a Guarneri. And I say no, but for me, it's like a Strad. And that's how I feel about it. Oh, that's a very beautiful anecdote, Alexandra. Thank you. How Thank you, you came to love your violin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm thinking of. Alexandra, what is coming up for you? What is next for you? On April 3rd, I will have my... South American debut. I will perform Brahms double concerto with Edgar Calderon and conductor Gonzalo Hidalgo in Caracas. So I'm, I'm very excited. I'm playing with an incredible orchestra. It's Dudamel's orchestra, Gustavo Dudamel, a conductor that I look up to and admire for the way he built his career. And yeah, I am very excited to be there for a whole week and to get to know these people, these musicians, and to work with them as well because I will give master classes to the children there. So I'm very excited. After that, I have my bachelor's recital. So those are the two big things that I have going on right now. And then after, I will see where life takes me. Uh, well, I think those two are both really, really major things. So that's already yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good luck with your bachelor, and I hope that you'll share some videos and pictures of your performance in Caracas on your social media so we can check it out. Thank you. Thank you. I will. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so happy to get to speak to you, and I'm so inspired by you. You have the best attitude about everything, so I'm going to try and learn that from you. And yeah, I'm so happy I got to speak to you today, Alexandra. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, I'm thank so happy. Thank you so much. And, oh, but that's so cool about playing in South America. Wow. That is... Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I can imagine. Is your boyfriend going to be there as well? No, no, no. Not this time. Okay. It's a little far. <laughs> no, next time. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Alexandra. Enjoy your, the rest of your day and your practice. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Make sure to visit Alexandra on Instagram, where her username is Alexandra Hauser Music, spelled out A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A-H-A-U-S-E-R-M-U-S-I-C. Bye.